When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we answer your questions on being a picky eater, handling an overly drippy nose at the dinner table, a request for a full explanation about gift registries, canceling last minute to big events, and whether or not to attend a wedding. All that plus a postscript segment from Dan on honesty in business. And we decided that because of our recording schedule this week, it would actually be good if we extended the quiz for another week. So please... Get your answers in to us using Quiz One Answers in the subject box and submit your email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or post it to our Facebook page. We are excited to continue this contest. And you can hear all of those quiz questions in last week's postscript. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. Fudgesicles. Snickerdoodle. <laughs> kind of. That's the game. I am working on my, I'm still working on my resolution of censoring my language a bit. Sure. Let's say re- refining. Refining. I'm not sure if fudgicles really counts as refining, but it does work saying it. I will say that. And sugar is another one. Schnitzel seems to be another one that's coming out. What does he say? My brother is right there with you. Yeah. As Stella Grace hits that. A little past two mark where she's acquiring language so fast. It's absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And they're being extra careful. And they've even started to expand their prohibition. Uh, Shut up is the new one. That they're trying to. don't want her to pick up. So shush or please be quiet. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and, you know, some stuff they can't help. Some stuff you start picking up at daycare. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, that's true. You can't even help it, even at two. It's hard, man. It was really funny. I told the the people I sit with at our UVM hockey games, I told them about my thing. And it was really funny because we had quite a choppy game against Providence the other weekend. And it definitely... I will say I I was not on my best behavior. The colorful language the colorful started to language flow. Colorful language started to flow a little bit, and we all kind of looked at each other, and we're just like, "Yep, re- resolution gets a timeout right now. This is insane." And uh, we were incurring a lot of penalties, and it was not a good thing. So even the even the coach used some colorful but language. That, that, but that's a public space, a it's public a public environment, space, and, and it's your father's example for where he learned to start regulating to himself. Regulate. I was very aware of it when it happened. And I was like, no, like this is that place. And it's that place where dad did originally as kids. It was where I learned my four letter words. Mm -hmm. And now it's a place where I try to watch it. But that game got a little heated. And I admit I fell I fell prey to the heat. 
Well, th- and there are times. I mean, the strength and the power of those words, because they're prohibited, because they're taboo, is they really add import or emphasis or yeah. impact, maybe yeah. more than import. <laughs> maybe when I'm home alone and drop something heavy on my foot, I could use them as mm. opposed to in a public space. Well, and, and I've been thinking about why you might use them. Because yeah. the question that Will's got is, well, at what age can I do let you start her? to expose yeah. your kids to these things? Because it's, you don't yeah. want to put them in a bubble. You don't want them to grow up unaware of certain territory in life that exists. Yeah, I feel like almost always around my my parents, it's not something I feel proud of doing or saying Hmm. ever. And I think that will just, oh, I'm 33, and I think that'll just always be true. Well, and as he's digging into this role of father, that role of the parent as the standard is so common. It's not universal, but it is is so common. common. Well, with that, should we answer some listener questions? We should, and good luck with that resolution. Thank you. I'm going to stick to it. (laughs) We find that getting along with people is pretty important. Do you think you can do that? Oh, yes, I think I can. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. I like this first question because it's it's about picky eater problems. And on occasion, I've been labeled a picky eater. I just don't like cilantro, okay? <laughs> I'm so glad you brought it up. <laughs> I don't, It's a genetic thing. It tastes like Dawn dish soap to me. It is not fun. It makes my, like, I breathe out dish soap flavor for, like, days after I eat it. I won't label you a picky eater just because of cilantro, but I, I did I think you might told have you I some was sympathy. Allergic. Yeah. I think you definitely might have some sympathy for this question. All right. I have been a very picky eater my whole life, a boring most strong taste in certain textures. Pickles, mustard, olives, onions, and most vegetables are good examples. My family and close friends are used to this and know that I will just eat what I prefer without making a big deal about it. If at a restaurant, I can always find something to order that works for me. My question concerns how I should behave at a banquet or other occasion where I have no choice about what I'm served. The easy answer is to just eat what I'm served without sounding like a wine baby, let me tell you that this is impossible. Is it acceptable to just eat a small amount of item that I detest and push the remainder around on my plate a little? I would never send a plate back or say anything about the food. Do you have other strategies that I could use? I really look forward to hearing your answer to my question regards picky eater. Hi, picky eater. Thank you for the question. As you can tell, you you, you definitely hit a little close to home. This is a topic that, that Lizzie and I discussed some. I want to start by addressing the major points of etiquette that you bring up in your question. And the first is just a basic table manners premise. And the idea is that when you're served something, that you try it. And that's about all you're responsible for in terms of your responsibilities as a guest. At the same time, you're an adult. You've survived this long. You know you're eating. You know your habits. You know your preferences. And um, I don't necessarily expect someone to come up with a tomato pie that's going to change your world. I really, I really don't think that's likely. At the same time, you don't need to push that around on your plate and try to make it look like you – ate more than you did. You're also not responsible for creating a deception <laughs> that is going to... Oh, like cutting up all your food to make it look exactly, like you might have Exactly, make it appear it? that no. you've eaten the food to, to, to spare your host's feelings. And no. if you're going to a place where you know that it's going to be limited options in terms of what you can eat and you're aware that you might not necessarily get a full portion, I think that you start developing little strategies like you keep a granola bar in your purse for mm-hmm. the second you leave or you eat a little bit before and you plan to eat a little bit after. That's perfectly okay. You fulfilled your responsibility as a guest by giving the food a try. What's really important at any meal or social event is that you bring your full self and your full participation and you engage and you don't let that become too big a distraction from 
um, your ability to enjoy the company of others. That's really where you want to keep your attention and your focus. And I think that if Picky Eater is an engaging dinner guest, whether it's a banquet or it's a friend's house for dinner, wherever he or she is, I think that that people aren't really going to notice that Picky Eater isn't really eating the food on the plate. And you don't need to dis- define or describe yourself as a picky eater no. where it starts to look like you're making judgments about the food. You can always tell people that you're a light eater. <laughs> I often tell people I'm a grazer, and it's true. You I are. tend to eat many meals, much smaller portions over the course of a day. And taste is taste. It's yeah. peculiar. It's individual. And there's no point of bad etiquette to having your taste. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep your conversation lively. Don't worry about tricking or deceiving to avoid offending your host. And that's either in terms of offering explanation for why you're not eating or making it look like you've eaten more than you have. Our next question has to do with drippy nose dinner dilemmas. Dear Lizzie and Dan, on a previous episode, a listener asked what to do if someone sneezed at the table and you suggested they excuse themselves to clean up. Would you please address two more situations where a drippy nose might occur? Number one, I'm very sensitive to spicy foods and make a diligent effort to be mindful of my choices when ordering. In spite of my best efforts, I occasionally find myself with a plate of food that causes nasal distress. As the birthdays have come and gone, the act of eating anything at all seems to trigger an overactive nose. The allergy tests have been negative. Unfortunately, the physiological response takes significant time to calm down. If I excuse myself from table, I would miss half or more of the meal. I carry tissues in my purse for these occasions and try to discreetly dab, but wonder if there is a better option. What would you suggest? Thank you very much. Trippy Debbie. Debbie, I'm totally sympathetic as my nose runs all the time, and I actually think you are doing exactly what I would suggest. I agree. If you were to excuse yourself from the table every time you had to blow your nose or dab your nose, you would miss the meal, and I don't want you to miss the meal. So I think carrying tissues in your purse, we do try to advocate for one and done just so that you're not reusing the same tissue and kind of bringing those germs back out. And it'll be very clear to your uh, fellow diners what's going on, and I don't think anyone is going to fault you for it. If you ate something that really caused quite a awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, We here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show lot of nasal distress, we will say. Um, I would excuse myself to the restroom to blow my nose there, especially if I was really going to make an attempt at clearing out my nostrils. And that, I think, should be taken away. But the, the little dab just to catch the drip that's starting to happen, I think you'd be just fine with. I couldn't agree more. I was also thinking a little bit about audience, that if you're having a, a meal with a spouse, there's going to be a lot more latitude in terms of just Taking care of yourself right at the table right. where the more people then the more formal the event, you might start to hold yourself to a narrower window in terms of what you're going to allow yeah. yourself at the table. I really think that that's going to be um, something that you're going to be pretty capable of assessing in the yeah. moment or the situation. And I think truthfully, from what it sounds like, I'm going to go ahead and, and give the OK that the dabs are OK no matter how formal. Blowing the nose, take it away. But the, those dabs, I think that's just you handling things discreetly, and I think that that's definitely the most appropriate thing to do. Good luck, Drippy Debbie. We hope that you enjoy many more meals with confidence as you dab away. I like our next question because it's fairly broad. What's the deal with gift registries? Hi, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. I'm not an American, though I've been living here most of my life, and I have to say, where I come from, gift registries are unheard of. How on earth is it considered good etiquette to give your friends and family a list of crud that you want. <laughs> Good work, resolution. Thank you. It's crazy to me, especially since as of late, the requested gifts are becoming more and more outlandish. The last wedding I went to actually had a PS4 and a home sound system on the registry. In fact, in the past, there was a particularly tasteless, classless registry that forced me to entirely cut off my friendship with a friend. This friend of mine created a meal registry after her baby was born. Oh, I've heard of these. They are not the right way to go. The registry forced her friends and family for, forced little strong. The registry forced her friends and family to pick a night of the week to deliver her and her husband meals. Mind you, her husband was a stay-at-home dad. The registry included a list of restaurants that both she and her husband liked, the phone number to said restaurant, and items on the menu that she and her husband both wanted. Is this crazy or what? After this, I had to cut off this friend, if not for poor etiquette, for respect to single mothers and single fathers who do it alone and don't ask for such extravagances. In my culture, you don't request gifts from friends and family. You merely say your presence is gift enough, and if someone does bring a gift, it's great, but it's at their discretion. Can you both please get to the bottom of this are gift registries actually good etiquette thank you both irritated you can hear it too you can see it in the language i know it's yeah. like you you read irritated and i'm reading irated right <laughs> um, i rate i rate i rated <laughs> exactly i rate <laughs> 
So this this question is um it's like a meatball over the plate <laughs> for an etiquette <laughs> it uh, is. an etiquette consultant. Because um, gift re- registries are a hot button topic, and we get a lot of questions about them because it's important that people handle them well. And this question really reminds us of one of the fundamental etiquettes around gift registries, and that's that they really come from a place that there's a lot of potential to perceive them as being rude. Why? Because right. it appears like you're giving a lot of direction about what kind of gifts to give. And that's an appearance that you really want to avoid because it is perceived as rude. The uh, The whole idea behind a gift is that it's a thought that counts, that it comes from a place of generosity. And when you start giving someone a lot of direction, you start to, to usurp that. You start to take some of that. It's the thought that counts. You start to sap some of that spirit of generosity by assuming that it's going to happen. Understanding that there are certain events and times in life when gift giving happens and it happens almost. It's automatic. It's also an obligation with the type of invitation you have received. So there's weddings. Yeah. And baby showers, baby showers. And the weddings, when we say weddings, we mean both wedding actually itself, where whether you attend or not, you should send a gift. And if you've been invited. And then if you've been invited to a shower, that is optional. If you go to the shower, you are obligated to get a gift because that's the point of the party. The whole word shower comes right. from showering a couple with, with gifts, gifts to prepare them. And you can have no gift showers, yep. but that would be a very particular it would just be a party. event. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't go to a shower, you are not obligated to send a gift. It's not Although many people obligation. do. Exactly. So those are the only two places where gift registry is appropriate. So back to why a gift registry might be considered appropriate and even a consideration. Or awesome. <laughs> for your guests. A lot of people, that <laughs> that gift giving is time consuming, difficult, overwhelming. They don't know what to do. They've got a wedding season where there's six or seven of these that they have to get. And getting just a little bit of direction from the couple about what they would appreciate or where they're at in their lives can be really helpful. So the whole etiquette of how you circulate the information about a gift registry is about capturing that feeling of this is a suggestion of it's going to help you fulfill your obligation. It really is about setting your guests up for success. It's about making it as easy as possible for them to fulfill their social obligation. It is a delicate host guest dance. Mm -hmm. And if the guest or the attendee isn't interested in that suggested gift idea or even the concept of a registry, it is entirely their prerogative to ignore it, (laughs) to come up with their own idea, to come up with their own approach and to figure out how they're going to approach that social obligation on their own. Again, it's It really is uh, in the spirit of if this is helpful to you, I offer it up. And the second it starts to cross that line into I expect these things, I want these things, I will be disappointed if I don't get these things, I would rather have you get me these things than any other things, that you start to really get into the the potential to give offense. So just for fun, let's tell them the things that you don't register for. You do not register for people to sign up to bring you food from specific restaurants. If someone offers to help, you could say, oh my gosh, you know, a frozen lasagna or, you know, just a bag mix salad, like something that we could throw together easily would be the most wonderful thing. And if you're a friend of said couple, don't wait for them to ask. Just bring it over. When my friend Bree had her baby, I made sure that she had frozen chicken soup and chili and lasagna and shepherd's pie to go for months and not take up too much room in her freezer, but at least so that she could just pop it in, make it, and it was good and it was all 
portion to. But let your friends do those things. Do not register for them and send the email around demanding that they sign up. That is terrible etiquette. Other things you don't register for. Typically, plastic surgery, not something you register for. Really large, expensive items. Some on your list can be for those big events, but you don't register for a boat. No. You don't register for a car. But one thing I did notice about the the, the larger gifts that I thought I'd mention, I remember um, at your sister's wedding, some of her friends getting together to pool together to purchase a gift. And that happens sometimes. It's one of the things that sometimes happens when there is a registry. Right. And you could always just remind yourself of that. Oh, no, no individual person totally. is likely to do that. But maybe... A group might get together and do that. And that's very true. And it's why you see some really higher priced items on registries. But, you know, typically a video gaming system is not... It, it just... Something about it. Now, if the couple did really love it, love playing them together, and this is something everyone knows about them, I could see it being more likely. But, you know, really, these are supposed to be gifts that set up the home or that create the very nice, entertaining items that they will be using in the future. And a lot of people say, well, I don't want china. I don't want actual silver, which are the most traditional wedding gifts. Instead, you know, I'm more comfortable with this everyday wear, which is great. That's totally fine to do. But it's a little bit strange when you're then saying, things like, well, you know, I want to make sure my hair is going to stay blonde for the next eight years. So a hair fund or I mean, people come up with ridiculous things, but it's you really do want to keep it to sort of traditional gift items for whatever it is you're celebrating. So that being said, irritated. <laughs> I I hope that you can understand a little bit where Americans come from on this custom of gift registries and that they are intended to be very helpful to guests as well as to the people receiving the gifts, that they're not getting a whole bunch of stuff that at a very busy time in their lives, especially new baby, that they're going to have to return. And we understand how this can get out of hand very easily. Always remember, like Dan said, you do not have to buy off the registry. So if your friends are doing this, chalk it up to a moment of they're stressed, they're trying to find ways to deal with the things that are stressing them out, and get a gift that you feel comfortable and confident giving them. Best of luck as the next round of weddings and baby showers start coming around. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first a word from the sponsors that make Awesome Etiquette possible. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is about canceling last minute for big events. Dear Lizzie and Dan, what should you do if you realize on the day of a wedding that you are not going to be able to attend because of an illness or other emergency? Should you notify the bride or groom who invited you right away? Does what you do change for a small versus a large wedding, a sit-down dinner versus a buffet, or if you have special dietary needs? Is the etiquette different for RSVPing to a wedding if you have a chronic illness? What can you do to make up for missing a friend's wedding due to an illness you could not avoid on the day of the wedding? Anonymous. Anonymous, I have an easy answer for you, and that is you always take care of your health and safety first. And if that means having to cancel on the day of a wedding, that means you're going to have to cancel on a day of a wedding. Weigh it out in your head. Can is there any, you know, medication that I have that could let me be there, but I'll be there an hour late? 
is there anything I can do? If you are a bridesmaid or something, that's something you want to talk about with the bride ahead of time and say, hey, I have this condition. And if it happens to flare up on the day of, I don't want you to be surprised, but it might mean that I have to be at home. I could imagine people with migraines, people with certain bowel conditions. Like these are things you just a can't A little warning avoid. ahead of time if it's a question. If it's a question. And and that, I think, is what Anonymous is asking when they ask, you know, is the etiquette different for RSVPing? And I think you can always get in touch with that person and say, I'm a yes, I can't wait to come. I do have a condition that every now and again it crops up at random and it doesn't allow me to come. But I just wanted to give you a heads up. And I do think you should send a text on the day of just to get the word out that you won't be attending and that you're very sorry. I think then as a follow up, really planning a nice evening with that couple and making it about them and celebrating it, you know, ask them to bring the photos over or if you can go through the photos together on Facebook or something. People love sharing wedding albums. They do. (laughs) And it's just such a great way to show them that you really wanted to be there, that you really want to be engaged and, and help them to understand that this was really something that prevented you from doing something you really wanted to be there for. I think you're probably doing a great job with this, though, by the sound of it. And hopefully all of the chronic illness doesn't rear its head on the next big important day for you. Our next question has to do with whether or not you are going to choose to attend a wedding based on some external circumstances. My son, Cole, has been friends with a boy, Evan, from his middle school class. They are now 26 years old. I have been friends with his mom for about the same amount of time, and we regularly see each other. Even though the boys have gone to college in different states and moved on to careers in other places, Evan is now getting married, and my husband and I have been invited to the wedding this summer. The problem is that my son... And my friend's son had a disagreement over a minor issue a year ago, and they no longer keep in touch. My son did not receive a save-the-date card from the groom-to-be, though he had expected one. So it doesn't look like he'll be invited to the wedding at all. My husband says we should not go to the wedding nor send a gift. Since I'm good friends with the groom's mom and she's included us on her guest list, I would really like to go. Is it being disloyal to my son if I go to this wedding? Is it being disloyal to my friend if I don't go? If I go, but my husband does not, what kind of excuse could I give for him? What would you recommend? Do I have a wedding in my future? Thank you for your response. Some real questions in this one, yeah? Yeah, no, I think to myself, it's a personal decision. When I start to break down and think about all the different things that are at play here, the the relationship between the sons is the first thing that really jumps out at me. And my instinct is that the more you can stay out of that particular issue, the better off you're going to be. And the Um, more you can separate your thinking about that from your decision making about whether or not to attend the wedding, the better off you're going to be. And I understand that's tricky because one of the people involved in that is having the wedding. (laughs) It's, it's, It's Evan's wedding. But really, your relationship is with Evan's mom here. And that's the point of connection that I see between you and this event. That's where you perceive this invitation coming from. I think that's a reasonable way to think of it, that probably as parents, in some ways, they're playing a co-hosting role here. And it's an honor and it's a privilege to be invited to a wedding. And it and it really it shows how much she cares about that relationship and the relationship between the families. And 
if that um, inspires you to want to go, I think that you're absolutely, as far as etiquette goes, well within all good etiquette and good taste to go. And the be- the beef, I should say, the, <laughs> you know, the issue isn't between our writer and the boy getting married, from what we know. It's between the two boys. Yep. And. And they're adults. And they're absolutely adults. They're 26 years old. They may old. or may not be behaving like adults. This may be yeah. a real issue. This may be a serious issue. Evan might be a fault. Your son might be a fault. Frankly, we I— We don't none, know. And none of those things really matter a whole no. lot to me. There might be a situation here as I was thinking about um, your husband's response. And, and I think it's natural as parents to want to be defensive, to want to be protective. And I don't know the details here. And, and sometimes something's happened that's so egregious that someone really needs your support. It would have to be a really extreme situation for me to see that all at play to the point where it's going to trump yeah. your prerogative yeah. to go to this wedding. If like you want. Evan's marrying C- uh, Cole's like girlfriend or and something. Lied yeah, and, and lied about it. And Yeah, it would have to be pretty. Pretty bad. I, I really think so. Yeah. As far as answering for your husband, right. it's entirely appropriate for you to respond on your own behalf and just say that you're going to be coming. And as far as excuses, I don't think you need to make an excuse. You just say my husband won't be attending. He's not he available. He's not here. Yeah. He, no need to go into a, a long, yeah. elaborate explanation of, of why he isn't there. There is a point of etiquette here that when you've been invited to a wedding, you do respond with a gift. It doesn't need to be something big or something extravagant or expensive, but it is basic good courtesy to reply to the honor of being invited to a wedding with a gift. So as a parting thought, I also just want to remind us that wedding guest list decisions are so tricky and so many things go into them. Really, this issue between your sons may or may not be the the major factor here. It might be a relatively minor factor. You might be in a closer circle with your friend who's the mother than your sons are after all these years living in different cities. That it really might be just a question about, I have 20 people and you're in my top 20 now. And issue aside or not, there are people who are in a closer circle. So really, that might help your husband some in terms of really feeling offense or or being aggrieved about the lack of an invitation for your son. That might even turn the husband around to thinking, wow, they really value us. If the sons have fallen out and we're still one of the couples that got invited by them, I mean, that's really how I would look at it. Yeah. No, I, I like that perspective. It's generous. Whatever you decide to do, I hope that the wedding is a smashing success, whether you are there or not. And I hope that your um, families are able to resolve these differences in a way that allow you to continue to maintain those friendships that are important to you. You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. But you already know a great deal. And you can learn still more by watching mother, dad, and other people who have good manners. Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your question on the show or if you have a comment about one of our answers, please feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. So for today's postscript, Lizzie and I thought that we would return to business etiquette, which was a a popular topic for these postscripts early on in the show. And it's been a little while since we've revisited it. As I was thinking about this postscript, I was asking myself, where where do I want to go in our business etiquette material? And one of the things that occurred to me as I was looking at the scripts for these shows is, 
frankly, how interested I am in a lot of our questions because a lot of them have a moral component, a component that's about uh, decision-making and relationships that has to do with ethics and morality as much as it has to do with a particular point of etiquette, a tradition or a custom. So if we were to, to think about the Emily Post equation of etiquette being a combination of manners and principles, I've been fascinated with how many of our questions have to do with the principles component of that equation. This idea that there's some moral or ethical qualities to good etiquette is something that sparked a, something in my mind where I remembered in the business etiquette book there being a, a brief discussion of, of etiquette and ethics. And before I went to the index to just look at the word ethics and see where in the book I was going to find ethics particularly referenced, I said, I'm going to go to the table of contents. And sure enough, in the table of contents, the very first thing in the book is etiquette and ethics. It's the way the book opens. And I, I thought I'd share with you the opening paragraph of the etiquette advantage in business. It begins, chapter one, etiquette and ethics. Emily Post once said, etiquette is a house built on ethics. In the first edition of Etiquette published in 1922, she described the relationship she saw between etiquette and ethics this way. Etiquette must, if it is to be of more than trifling use, include ethics as well as manners. It's fascinating to me. Of more than trifling use, if you'll remember the three principles that we use at the Emily Post Institute to guide our evaluation of manners, the, the principles component of our etiquette equation, we think of consideration, respect, and honesty. And today I really want to focus on that third principle, that honesty principle. So the etiquette and ethics uh, opening to the book continues and Peter starts to contribute some of his thoughts. This is Peter Post, Lizzie's father. And one of the ideas that he introduces in that introduction is the idea that in business, we're, we're governed by manners as well as laws. And he talks about how laws tell us what we can't do, that oftentimes manners are telling us what to do. And how do manners tell us what we can do? Well, sometimes they're the particular tradition, they're the particular expectation. And in business, we talk about that expectation of formality. So one of the ways I could approach a business etiquette topic would be to discuss things like striking an appropriately formal tone with email or business communication or correspondence or using titles correctly in the workplace so that you're able to use formality to show respect and consideration for organizational hierarchy. And those are manners. They're important. But I also think the bigger picture of doing the right thing, of grounding all your decision-making in honesty and sincerity is really of fundamental importance. And in the last year, I've had the good fortune of helping um, someone I'm very close to start a small business. Mm -hmm. And along the way, they've encountered a thousand little decisions to make about um, how to conduct themselves in a relationship or how to approach a certain point of business. And so often the answer is, well, what's the honest approach? What can you be most truthful about? What allows you to share every element of your decision-making process with everybody who's affected? And that ability to be honest and use honesty as a, a decision-making guide is really liberating and it's really um, empowering. And it oftentimes reduces a very complex set of decisions to a couple of very clear imperatives. And I think it's important. I also think it's incredibly useful. So that's a little reflection on yeah. honesty as it, as it impacts etiquette and behavior. You know, even as you were saying it, and I'd, I'd never thought about this before, but the, the thing that came to my mind as I was listening to that fabulous postscript segment was that if I was going to lose my job, either walk away from it or if I was going to get fired, would I be proud of the steps I had taken and the way that things had happened? Could I hold my head high? Or am I losing a job and I've done something to hurt, offend, or be dishonest to my own self? 
I would always want to end up on the side. Well, if this job didn't work out, at least I knew I was playing the game fairly or I was being supportive of the people around me. That Absolutely. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, as, as long as you have your center, yeah. it's amazing how nimble you can it makes you. Yeah. yeah. No, very true. Very true. Excellent segment, Dan. Excellent segment. Business etiquette postscript. We'll look at some of the the details of formality and how um, all of us can use it in our professional lives to increase the options that we have on the table when we're when we're making choices. But I wanted to start off from a place of of honesty, sincerity, and integrity. But why? Why does it matter? For several reasons. Look, maybe I can show you. Today's etiquette salute begins. Hi, Dan and Liz. I had something happen to me recently that I just have to share since it feels so timely for this time of year. Not only will I think you'll love this, but I hope that it inspires your audience as much as it inspires me to be a kinder person. I also live in the fine state of Vermont, and my family lives in Connecticut. We've recently had a very difficult and very sad crisis happen, and so I had to drop everything and make the drive south to be with family for the past week. Not only was this situation itself difficult enough, but it has cast a shadow on Christmas time, which already in my family is fraught with expectations. I'm happy to report that everyone in my family is okay and on the mend, but I nonetheless was making my way back to Vermont very sad and teary. But because I do live in Vermont, and I know you two could appreciate this, I still had to take advantage of driving through metropolitan Connecticut to do some Christmas shopping and get supplies that I can't find in Vermont. In particular, I make stained glass gifts, and stained glass supply stores are few and far between where I live. So I stopped by this little shop on my way north, and I was greeted by the sweetest couple. While I was browsing their available materials, I was treated to very pleasant and sweet conversation, and they made me feel at home and cared for. I got to know them a little more as I was being rung up and lingered for a little while, even though I know I had a long drive back and it was starting to get late. They knew I had a drive ahead of me, so while I was finishing my payment transaction, one of the owners grabbed a paper bag and filled it with treats and snacks for me on the road. They gave me their card, a healthy invitation to come back, and gave me their personal information and offered to let me use the restroom on my way out. They sent me home not only with beautiful glass, but also a bag full of juice boxes, clementines, popcorns, chips, and nuts. I drove for hours with the warmth of kindness and a full belly. I got into my car and was just so touched by the kindness of these strangers. They didn't know that I'm going through a period of hardship, but I think that knowing that would not have changed how gracious they would have been. I want to share this with you as a reminder to us all that during this emotional and special holiday time, there are many among us that can be carrying quiet, secret troubles. The truest spirit of Christmas is to be kind, sincere, and generous with all of those around us, because the potential impact on those people can be very great and very meaningful. Their kindness reminded me that Christmas time is not about storybook perfection, but love and generosity in all its forms. Also, let's not forget our small businesses. It's just another reason to support our mom-and-pop stores that really contribute to our communities. You'll be hard-pressed to encounter that kind of care and service in large chain stores. All my best and wishing you a lovely and happy holiday, Emma. That's lovely. Really sweet, Emma. Thank you for sharing. Social courtesy does pay, doesn't it? Thanks. (laughs) 
That's our show for today. Thank you for spending some of your week with us. And remember, there's no show without you. So please send us your etiquette questions, your comments and suggestions. And of course, your etiquette salutes. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it. And of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Hans Buto. 